Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Brian T. Boyd. He is a lawyer based in the Nashville area. He's an expert on real estate and is the author of a new book called Replace Your Income, A Lawyer's Guide to Finding, Funding, and Managing Real Estate Investments. Welcome to the Money Answer Show, Brian. Thank you for having me, Jordan. It's good to be here. Just give us a little bit of your background and how you got to where you are today and being such an expert in real estate. Yes, sir. So I graduated law school in 2004 and matriculated to tax school in Washington, D.C. to become a tax attorney. Ended up working in Washington, D.C. for a little while and made my way back home to Tennessee. I'm from here. Uh, Ended up in Nashville in 2007. And I don't know if you recall, but 2008 was the year the world fell apart for transactional anything, uh, let alone tax attorneys. So I found myself without a job and found myself, you know, working on my own because nobody was hiring transactional tax attorneys in the worst economic meltdown in a generation. Um, Eventually, found a few clients that were construction development, um, contractors, engineers, and they were buying real estate after everything had fallen apart in 2008, 9, and 10. They were, they were just buying anything they, they could get their hands on. Um, today, one of those clients is one of the top four developers in downtown Nashville, and he's doing tremendous. But he was buying during an economic meltdown. So over the years, I had been encouraging my wife, hey, let's, let's get into real estate. Let's buy something. Let's get some passive income coming in. Because as an attorney, I bill by the hour. So I have to be working to make money. And my wife is a W-2, so she has a salary. So it doesn't matter how much she works. So in 2017, I sold a company that I had started for passive investment. Uh, I did four things with that money. I bought my wife a new wedding ring. I paid off some student loans. I bought some new shotguns to go hunting with. And I bought my first short-term rental. And I haven't looked back. I've been buying regardless of interest rates. I've been buying regardless of what the market's been doing because all along the way, it's a numbers game. If I can make a good return on an investment, that's a good deal for me. And that's how I look at all real estate investments these days. So let's specifically talk about the environment we're in today. Uh, The Federal Reserve is uh, raising interest rates sharply. Uh, Mortgage rates are 65 on their way to 7%, it seems. Um, prices have been falling, or certainly real estate activity is way down from what it was a year ago. You don't have these kind of overheated bidding wars as you did a year or so ago. Um, and even the commercial real estate market, a lot fewer people going back to the office. Seems like a lot of instability in that area. How do you assess the current uh, environment for investing in real estate in light of all that? 
So if you're looking to buy a primary residential property to live in, maybe you should wait. But if you're looking to buy an investment property, just like the stock market, when prices go down, you should probably buy the dip. Now, you've already mentioned that the Fed's about to raise interest rates. Okay, to me, interest rates are just a Section 163 deduction. That interest is deductible to me anyway, and I'm not capped at $10,000 like primary residential mortgages are. So if it's just a cost of doing business for me and I'm still making my profit, that's money I'm not working for. So at the end of the day, if you look at an investment purely through an economic lens, what you're seeing is, yeah, it might cost more money to borrow the bank's money, but it's all going to work out through deduction. So I might create a bigger loss for myself from a tax standpoint at the end of the first one or two years, but when interest rates go back down, and they surely will, I'll refinance out of that and get that lower interest rate and increase my profit margin. Okay. So as far as I assume you you, you like to invest in income, producing real estate. You're not there to kind of speculate, build, fix, and flip, and uh, assuming prices are going up. Is that correct? No, sir. I am not a fix and flipper. I'm a long-term hold investor. So when I purchase, I'm looking at an asset from a one, three, five, seven, and 10-year perspective because that's how long I want to hold a particular asset, especially as I use cost segregation studies to accelerate depreciation. I want to make sure I am using that asset's usable life for myself and generating the returns. I also encourage my clients to use these types of cost segregation studies and tax structures and strategies along the way as well. Was there anything in the uh, Inflation Reduction Act that was recently passed? Um, it did have some tax provisions in there that would affect the real estate market either positively or negatively. As it relates to, the <laughs> to that act, um, I wouldn't exactly call it an Inflation Reduction Act because I don't really think it reduces inflation. What I saw in there was an attempt to curtail some rising costs, but as it related to real estate, I think we're going to be fine. Our 1031 exchange was left alone, which is, if you know real estate, you understand that the like-kind exchange provision is very important to real estate investors. And if you're investing in insurance policies, the 1035 exchange is important as well. But the 1031 is left alone. The, the Section 179 depreciation schedules were, were maintained. Our cost segregation studies are still intact. So as real estate investors look at that act, we are fine. We have been left intact. Nothing in that act would give me pause about purchasing or even starting a new real estate investment. There was a threat. I mean, they threatened to go after the 1031 exchange. They didn't do it in the end. But there is a, there are people in Congress who don't like it, right? There are. And I'm glad you bring that up because when this president ran, he threatened to take out the 1031 exchange. He specifically was targeting 
these type of provisions. And what I would tell you, and I would tell anybody else, is if that happens, what's going to be the repercussion of that would be, well, we're just going to hold those assets that much longer. Yeah. And there are tax strategies, for example, the step-up in basis rule, um, when you pass assets on to your, your beneficiaries or your, your heirs, you know, your children still get that step-up in basis. So you would just end up keeping assets a, a lot longer. And yeah. what I think the, the net effect of that is, is you don't have people taking those profits off the table. So those profits are going to stay out there. And it's, it's not going to have the economic impact that I think the administration really wants it to have because we're just going to sit here and wait. We're going to wait for the next administration or the next Congress to come in and then see if they really cater more to the investment crowd. Yeah. And one thing that's clearly – I agree it was not the best name, but that's what they called it, the Inflation Reduction Act. One of the parts that was in there that did pass is increasing – funding to the IRS to the tune of $80 billion or so and adding 87,000 uh, IRS agents over time. Part of the aim for that is to cut down on abuses and people not paying their taxes. And real estate is one specific area where they think there's a lot of money being left on the table. Now you're going to have 87,000 new IRS agents to go after. Does that concern you at all? Well, it concerns me as a tax lawyer when I try to call into the IRS, I'm left on hold for four hours. So if their goal is to go out and audit people, I think it's a misguided funding. But if their goal is to answer the phone finally so we can get things moving, that's great. But you and I both know that their goal is not to answer the phone. Their goal is to go after people making you know, up to $400,000. So they're looking at that, that certain tax bracket. And real estate is not where taxes are paid. I pay property taxes on every single property I have. I pay employee taxes, you know, FICA, self-employment. We pay all of that. So real estate shouldn't be a targeted sector of this bill. But I think you're right. I think it actually is. And so do you think people are going to be audited more than they had been in the past and found to be uh, underpaying their taxes because of various real estate transactions? I think people – well, that's a two-part question. And one, I do think people will be audited more. Um, but will they be found to be underpaying? No. If you are following the tax code, you should only pay what you're obligated to pay. The concept of – equity and fairness in the tax code, it, it's really, it's just not there. The tax code is a statutory scheme, and if you follow it to the letter and even look through the regulations of the tax code and you follow all of those regulations, you're not underpaying. You're simply using what Congress has already said it's okay to do because they've written it down, they've codified it. So, I don't think real estate is an area where people underpay taxes. We pay a lot of taxes. Yeah. Um, they're estimating I mean, that, I, yeah. they're estimating they're going to collect at least 150 billion if not more in taxes that should have been paid that have not been paid. Do you think that there's that much out there that people are 
not paying that they should be paying since you're also a tax lawyer? Actually, I don't. I don't. You know, what, what that argument basically posits as a theory is that you have all these people cheating on their taxes. Well, having worked in public accounting with one of the big four right out of tax school and have dealt with individuals and their taxes over the last 18 years, most people don't underpay. In fact, a lot of people overpay. And I say they overpay because they're missing deductions or they're missing credits they could have taken, but they didn't. So I think there's a lot of money left on the table for most taxpayers uh-huh. and a good tax accountant, a good CPA or a good tax attorney can help you find those deductions and credits that you otherwise didn't pay. I was on the phone with my tax accountant last week and she informed me that I missed a tax credit. And I was like, how did I miss a tax credit? She's like, well, it came out during COVID and you know, if you have this one quarter, you're you're entitled to get the second quarter. Well, I only claimed the first quarter, so she went back and got me the second quarter. Right. So, you know, it, it's things like that, and that was a credit. So all the money had already paid in. Now I was due money back, and in fact, I did get my checks from the Department of Treasury last last week. Very so, good. Okay. Yeah, there's We're money t- left on the table. We're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Brian T. Boyd. He is a tax attorney and real estate expert in Nashville, Tennessee. His new book is called Replace Your Income, A Lawyer's Guide to Finding, Funding, and Managing Real Estate Investments. You can find out more about his book and him at BrianTBoyd.com, and his law firm's website is BoydWillis.com, BoydWills.com, BoydWills.com. Sorry about that, and we'll be back after this. Nobody likes the guy who says, I told you so. The guy in 1991 who said to you, invest in the internet, it's going to be huge. Or the guy in 1997 who said, come on, this is going to be big. They call it social media. And the guy in 2009 who said, I'm telling you, man, crypto is real. Now, I'm not going to be that guy who says, I told you so. But I am telling you that there is a 21-year-old international company where you can become a global project partner, earning a passive income doing exactly what you're doing at this moment. No selling, no recruiting clients, no administering a business after hours. Visit www.mypassiveincome.life now. That's mypassiveincome.life. Don't let history repeat itself on this one. Earn a passive income. Now listen again. That's MyPassiveIncome.life. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. 
We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Brian T. Boyd. He is a tax attorney and real estate expert in Nashville, Tennessee. He's come out with a new book called Replace Your Income, a Lawyer's Guide to Finding, Funding, and Managing Real Estate Investments. You can find out more at his website, BrianTBoyd.com, or his law firm is BoydWills.com. Welcome back to the show, Brian. Thanks for having me back, Jordan. So let's just start at the very beginning here about uh, kind of why real estate as a major part of your portfolio compared to stocks or bonds or the other traditional asset classes. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, The reason I like real estate is, one, it's an asset, so you can actually touch it. Um, Two, the appreciation you get year over year in real estate is unparalleled with anything else in the stock market. Now, don't get me wrong. You do have the run-up in cryptocurrencies that we've seen over the last few years, but you're also seeing them take a massive nosedive. Um, But not every stock out there is a cryptocurrency. It's not a Google. It's not an Apple. um, It's not even a a Facebook or an Alphabet. What real estate is, is it's an appreciating asset year over year that is kicking out tangible tax benefits to you while kicking out monthly profits to you. I can't think of another single investment vehicle that does what real estate does for you. Moreover, real estate, if you go all in as an active investor, will provide you residual income for as long as you want it. It will provide you that appreciation for as long as you want it. It will provide you uh, something that you can sell and then flip into something bigger that will produce more money. That's not always the case in the stock market. In fact, over the last few days, we've seen the stock market lose a lot, especially with the announcement of the Fed increasing interest rates. But real estate, it's not going to take the nosedive we all saw in 7, 8, and 9. In fact, Congress legislated that out of possibility because now you can't do liar loans. You have to put equity down on your purchase. Now, the last few years, we've seen real estate increase exponentially, more so than we've ever seen it increase probably in the last 50 years. Is that normal? No. But these are the new values that properties are currently sitting at right now. One of the things that changed during the pandemic, which had never happened before, was rent uh, moratoriums and, and moratoriums against uh, uh, throwing out tenants, basically. Um, and that made a lot of landlords hurt pretty badly. Is, is that something you think people will have to worry about? What if we have another pandemic and we go through that again? So I'm glad you brought that up because that was ultimately found to be unconstitutional. And it made its way up to the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals, which said this is unconstitutional. 
and I believe it found its way to uh, the Supreme Court, which said this is unconstitutional. You can't do that. You can't tell people that, oh, you don't have to pay rent when landlords are paying for the assets, they're maintaining those assets, and they're paying the banks. You're basically destroying an entire industry. The Supreme Court of the United States said, no, you can't do that. So, so you're saying the next time happen, the next time, say there's another pandemic in a similar situation, they would not allow uh, rent moratoriums and, and foreclosure and uh, eviction um, moratoriums. That would not happen again. I don't believe it would. I think that's been settled. That's, that's settled case law now. And it made its way through the district courts, the courts of appeal, all the way up to the Supreme Court. Okay. Uh, one of the areas you talk about in your book is short-term rentals. Uh, instead of doing it you know, month by month, you're doing it day by day through uh, VRBO and Airbnb. What are the pros and cons of, of using your real estate for short-term rentals? Oh, that's a great question. A lot of people love short-term rentals because it accelerates cash flow. So instead of renting out a property for, say, $1,500 a month, you can rent a property out for $150 a night. If you rent that for 10 days, you've already made your $1,500. But if you rent it for 20 days, you've made $3,000. So you're easily making more than double of what your long-term rent would be. That's one of the benefits of short-term rentals. Another benefit of the short-term rental is Section 469, the passive investment rules of the tax code. Short-term rentals, you know, have this special classification within passive investment, and it makes it a lot easier to manage short-term rentals, especially from a tax standpoint. But one of the cons associated with short-term rentals is the, the wear and tear on property. So we've got a couple of short-term rentals up in Gatlinburg, Tennessee, which is up in the Smoky Mountains of Tennessee. And every year we have to restain the house or the, the cabins. We have to do a deep clean every year. We have to change bedding. Sometimes we have to change mattresses because these are being used every single day. And unlike your personal residence where you might have a guest room that nobody ever sleeps in, people are sleeping in every single bed. They're using every single bathroom. They're using your kitchen a lot. And when people rent these cabins or these short-term rentals, irrespective of if you're at the beach, you're in a, uh, a destination town like Nashville, Tennessee is a destination town now. Every part of that property is being used almost every single day. So the wear and tear is something you have to keep your eye on, and that increases your maintenance cost. So that's something to take into consideration if you're going to do short-term rentals. So is it better for most people who are not going to be so management-intensive to do a long-term rental instead? It really depends on what your goal in real estate investing is. I have a lot of long-term rentals, but I've got three short-term rentals. And those three short-term rentals, you know, some months they rival the rest of my portfolio and what the portfolio makes as a whole. So let's say the average property rents for $1,000 a month. 
okay, but the average short-term rental might rent for $5,000, $6,000 a month. So ultimately, if you have three rental properties bringing in five dollars to $6,000 a month, that's fifteen dollars to $18,000 a month, whereas the rest of the portfolio might only bring in you know, $15,000. So that's one of the, the trade-offs with short-term versus long-term rentals is that, yes, you're going to accelerate your cash flow and you're going to make more money. As for long-term rentals, what I would tell people is slow and steady is going to win the race, and that's going to result in less wear and tear in your house because long-term renters typically stay for a long time. They stay at least a year. Sometimes, and studies have shown, they'll stay up to five years renting one property. Well, that's somebody that has taken an ownership in your property. They're treating it as their property. They're integrating into the community. They are calling this their home. They're raising a family there. And that really, as a real estate investor, you know, makes you feel good because you know they're going to take care of that property. They're not going to treat it like a bachelor party or a bachelorette party over the weekend and possibly trash your property. So that's something to consider. But again, the money in short-term rentals, it accelerates your cash flow. That's you, say something, you say something very surprising in your book, which is don't avoid Section 8 tenants. Most people think you're asking for trouble when you're doing subsidized housing. Why do you not want to avoid Section 8 tenants? Because I think Section 8 gets a bad rap. Section 8 kind of has a stigma to it that is not necessarily true. Now, we don't have any Section 8 rentals, but when we bought our portfolio, there were several in there. And to a person, they were polite. They were hardworking. They weren't trying to take advantage of the system. They, they simply just weren't a lower socioeconomic class. But they took good care of the property. They were very polite. The rent came in on time every month without fail. There is nothing wrong with that. Now, are the rents a little bit lower than fair market value? Yes, but it's a government program. But during the moratorium that we were just talking about, guess what? Section 8 paid every month without fail. If you had a private tenant in that property, maybe they didn't pay. Now, we've learned that that moratorium was unconstitutional, but Section 8 pays without fail every time. So you're getting, a blow market rent. you're getting a blow market rent from the renter, but then there's a differential that's being paid by HUD, I guess, on a regular basis. So your overall rent is, is similar to market rents. Is that correct? It is similar to market rent. And I'm not going to say it's much depressed. It's typically $100, $200 below rent. But, you know, for $100 or $200 and you're going to have a renter in, in that property – for years and years and years, that stability is very beneficial to your portfolio. Very good. All right, we're going to take another break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Brian T. Boyd. He's a lawyer based in Nashville, an expert on real estate investing. His book is called Replace Your Income, 
A Lawyer's Guide to Finding, Funding, and Managing Real Estate Investments. You can find out more at his website, BrianTBoyd.com. The website for his law firm is BoydWills.com. We'll be back after this. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Do you or someone you love have a life insurance policy that's no longer needed or not affordable? Did you know that you can sell your policy for cash? Your reason for buying life insurance has probably changed. Thousands of Americans turn to life insurance settlements to help sell their policies. They act as your representative, getting the highest market offer for you. You've got nothing to lose by simply inquiring. If you're over 64 with $100,000 or more of life insurance, you may already qualify. Call 877-485-6681 to get your free non-binding appraisal or visit FundingLife.com. Life Insurance Settlements. Discover the true value of your life insurance. 877-485-6681. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Brian T. Boyd. Uh, He is a lawyer based in the Nashville area, expert on real estate. His book is called Replace Your Income, and you can find out more at Brian T. Boyd. Com. Welcome back to the show, Brian. Thanks for having me back, Jordan. So there are different ways to hold real estate, pros and cons. Let's just briefly go through the different ways you can do it. The first one is an LLC, limited liability company. What is the pro and con of uh, owning real estate in an LLC? Well, the pro of holding real estate in an LLC is the flexibility, but you also get the corporate protections of an S-corp or a C-corp. I love LLCs for real estate. In fact, it is my go-to structure. Um, The cons of LLCs is every time you purchase real estate in a separate state, you're going to have to register that entity in that state, which means you may subject yourself to that state's taxes. That being the case, it's something you need to talk to your accountant about. And why should you, uh, you say Wyoming is a good place to found your LLC? Why is that? Absolutely. I love Wyoming for LLCs. Not only is Wyoming the first state to create LLCs, but they're on the cutting edge of LLC formation. In fact, last year they came out with a very new LLC that used blockchain technology for voting. Uh, Tennessee followed shortly thereafter, but 
Wyoming is a wonderful place to have an LLC. They also have a, um, it's called a charging document protection, which means if there's a judgment against you in one state, Wyoming makes it very difficult to obtain your assets if it's a Wyoming LLC. So there are different kinds of LLCs. There are single member ones, multi-member ones, and series LLC. Well, which kind of LLC should you pick amongst those different kinds? Well, my wife and I, we have um, a multi-member, and that multi-member LLC owns several single-member LLCs because those LLCs are wholly owned by our multi-member LLC. So it, it gets into tax structures. But if you are just a single person or you don't have a partner, then you're going to be a single-member LLC. Um, if you have partners, you'll be a multi-member LLC. And if you're getting into series LLCs, and I've, I've had a lot of questions about these lately, I typically stay away from series LLCs only because the administrative cost to running a series LLC most time outstrips the value that series LLCs. What I do see people using series LLCs for are development projects. So if you have a contractor and he's got a series LLC, but he's building multiple projects, he will have series one, two, three, four, and five. And as he finishes those projects, he can sell series one, two, three, four, as they come along. As a real estate investor, I don't typically use these because I keep my real estate separated by different LLCs depending on the geographic location of that. There's not any particular reason I do that. I just like to separate my LLCs out by geography. So I've got an LLC for Chattanooga. I've got one for Knoxville. I've got one for West Tennessee. I've got one for Montana. So we have separate LLCs done that way. There is no point that I think you have too many properties in one LLC. I don't think that's really a concern that most people are ever going to come across. Yeah. Okay, the next one is an S-corporation. What are the pros and cons of holding real estate in an S-corp? Um, an S-corp, uh, the cons would be you have to be an American citizen. You, you're limited on the number of shareholders. I believe it's 100 now. And um, it has to file an 1120S, which is a, a corporate tax return with the uh, Internal Revenue Service. But you, on the pro side, you get passed through treatment, um, and you can limit your self-employment tax if you decide to pay yourself a salary. However, I don't typically recommend these for holding real estate. Okay, the next one is a trust. What are the pros and cons of holding real estate in a trust? I've had a lot of questions about trust lately, especially land trusts. Land trusts simply get the trust out of your name, but it doesn't necessarily provide you the protections you're wanting. If you're wanting protections by putting assets into a trust, it needs to be an irrevocable trust, which means you don't control it and you can't tell the trustee what to do with it, which means you've basically lost control of your real estate investments. I don't like trust for real estate investments. And the last alternative is partnerships, and there are various kinds of partnerships, uh, limited liability partnerships, limited partnerships, general partnerships. What is the pro and con of uh, holding real estate in partnerships? Well, one of the pros of a partnership in real estate is it allows two companies to come together 
and do a joint venture. Now, the problem lies in that if you don't put a structure around it, like an LLC, you are going to have problems with liability protection. So partnerships are great to get a project off the ground, but once the project is off the ground, I like to sell that project into an LLC where both companies could be members of that LLC. So partnerships are great. They just don't provide the protections of an LLC because the LLC does, again, provide you the corporate protections of a corporation. You have a whole chapter in the book on finding properties. Just give us some brief ideas of how in today's real estate market you want to find properties. It's been a very, very hot market competing with a lot of other people. How do you do that? That's correct. Most people start looking for properties on the MLS, the multiple listing service, or Realtor.com or Zillow, these big platforms that are out there. But there are better ways to find properties. And those ways are tapping into your team, your real estate agent, your insurance agent, your banker, your bookkeeper, your accountant, your lawyer. We all know people. We deal with people every day. It's part of our our job. So of all those people that we know, we probably know somebody that is in real estate, is looking to sell a deal or sell a property. All you have to do is ask. I can't tell you how many times I've had deals run across my desk simply because one one person on my team said, hey, would you take a look at this? In fact, one of our real estate uh, projects in Gatlinburg came across our desk, my desk that way. I had a real estate agent in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. He called me up to look at a contract for one of his clients. I looked at the contract. I gave him my advice on it. And at the end of that conversation, I asked him very candidly, what are you looking to get for this project? He told me. I said, well, let me talk to my wife. Turns out we, got, we bought that deal. We bought that deal. He was happy. We were happy. And now we have, you know, that project in Gallenberg, Tennessee. And that's how it happens. You simply know people and you don't realize you know people. And people are your network. You simply just have to talk to them. Do you think that the balance of uh, buy versus sell is shifting now? It's been very much of a seller's market. Do you think it's shifting to become more of a buyer's market? I do. I do think it's moving more towards a buyer's market. But again, I think that the market is returning to pre-COVID normalcy, where during the COVID years, you were seeing property values skyrocket. You were seeing people move from states like California, New York, Illinois, into low-tax states like Florida, Texas, Nevada, um, you know, Tennessee, Low-tax states were getting the influx of all this money out, and it was driving our property values up. Now I think that the COVID restrictions are over. You're going to see more normalcy again, which allows buyers to negotiate more in deals. Now, does that mean that the deals are going to stay on the market a lot longer? No, I don't think so. I think real estate is still a hot, a hot market. I think our values are still there. And I think a lot of people over the last few years have realized how much money can be made in real estate and it can be made very tax efficiently for you too. Another new factor, relatively new factor is institutional buying of rental homes. Um, 
you know, they buy an entire neighborhood for a real estate investment trust. They don't need mortgages. They come in with all cash and just buy things up. Is that a, a long-term factor changing the uh, commercial real estate market? Well, I, I think if Wall Street's doing it, because I, I know that BlackRock is going in and buying up just everything they can get their hands on right now. And if the, the quantitative analysts at BlackRock are looking at real estate as a go ahead and buy this and I will take a smaller profit now for the long-term benefit of this, I think the average investor ought to take a look at it and say, hey, if they're doing it, maybe I should consider it on a smaller scale. Because if Wall Street's doing it, you know they're doing it for a reason. But you're competing against them. I'm saying as a, a small-time real estate investor, you're competing against BlackRock in buying a home where they have all cash and they can buy it for rental income, whereas you may need to leverage it and you can't pay as high a price and close as quickly as these big institutions buying whole neighborhoods. You know, to a certain extent, I'm not competing with BlackRock. I am. They might be buying a house in a neighborhood that I have a house, but for the most part, we're not going after the same targets. Um, Typically, BlackRock is looking to buy like brand new properties because they have low maintenance on them. I'm typically looking to buy from a seller, somebody that's had the house a while, or they've had that property on Airbnb. I want to go ahead and take that off their hands, give them their profit, so I can go utilize that profit in a way that I want to make a profit with it. So we're not necessarily going after the exact same demographics or targets. Yeah, very good. All right, we're going to take another break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Brian T. Boyd. He's a, a real estate lawyer and tax lawyer in the Nashville, Tennessee area. Uh, his book is called Replace Your Income, A Lawyer's Guide to Finding, Funding, and Managing Real Estate Investments. You can find out more at his website, BrianTBoyd.com. Or the website for his firm is boydwills.com. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you a homeowner tired of making monthly mortgage payments with little progress towards paying down your principal? Does paying off your home in five to seven years without making larger or more frequent payments sound appealing? Paying off your home in full in five to seven years is really possible thanks to Truth and Equity's Mortgage Equity Optimization System, a money management approach that puts your money to work for you 24-7. If you own a home with some equity, have a decent credit score and verifiable income, you owe it to yourself to learn more about Truth and Equity's program. There's no need to replace your mortgage or refinance in many cases. The system works for new home purchases as well as current mortgages. Your home is your largest investment. Own it outright in five to seven years. Call Truth and Equity, 888-262-5540 or visit truthandequity.com, 888-262-5540. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Brian T. Boyd, a real estate uh, lawyer and tax expert. 
uh, in Nashville, Tennessee. His book is called Replace Your Income. You can find out more at his website, BrianTBoyd.com. Welcome back to the show, Brian. Thanks for having me. So let's brief, briefly talk about the tax advantages of doing real estate, the first one being depreciation. So explain how depreciation works and how that's such a big benefit. Absolutely. So real estate is broken into residential and commercial. Residential real estate is depreciable over 27 and a half years. So if you buy a property and it's worth $100,000, if you divide $100,000 by 27.5, that is the amount of depreciation you're going to take every year. However, there's a way to accelerate that depreciation through what are called cost segregation studies. A cost segregation study basically takes a house and breaks it apart into its individual components. It will break that house down to your appliances, your lighting, your wires, your doors, your windows, your roof, your walls, everything that makes that house. And each component of that house has a separate depreciation schedule. So you're looking at, you know, five, seven, and 15-year depreciation schedules which means you can take the bulk of that property and push them into those schedules and take that depreciation up front instead of over the 27.5 years. That accelerated depreciation creates basically a tax deduction for you, and, and that tax deduction helps offset the income generated from that property. So depreciation is gold. It sounds very complicated. Yeah, so, yeah and, and to an extent it is, and that's why I think everybody that gets involved in real estate should go talk to their accountant and their lawyer about it so they can understand. I try to lay it out in the book, you know, in, in non-legal speak for people, but it can get complicated. Yeah. Another tax advantage is that we talked about it briefly, the section – 1031 exchange, this is where you sell one property and buy another for a like kind. What is the tax advantage of doing a Section 31 exchange? So a Section 1031 exchange is called a like kind property exchange, and it allows you to buy a property, hold it for a number of years, and then sell that property, identify a new property within 45 days, and then close on that property with 180 days during that time period, once you've closed on that property, that money never goes into your account. It stays with a neutral party. Once you have picked another property or two properties or three properties and you're able to buy that property or those properties, you can close on those properties and not pay capital gains. Not only will you not pay capital gains, but you won't experience depreciation recapture. So if you sell a property and you've depreciated that property, you have to recapture some of that depreciation in the sale. The Section 1031 exchange allows you to avoid that by deferring your gains later on. So that's why the 1031 is so vital to real estate investors. It allows investors to leverage up into more and more properties by using the profits generated from that original property. So we've talked we've been talking mostly about buying real estate, but you have a chapter on when's the best best time to sell. When is it the best time to sell a real estate property that you've had successfully for a long time? Well, 
I, th- I think it really is going to come down to your goal. I think you ought to sell a property when you have decided, I want to leverage into another property or I want to get more properties so you're wanting to scale. Or you're ready just to take some profits off the table and get out of that particular property altogether. Now, if it was I looking at a particular property and I had a lot of equity in that property, I may not sell that property. Instead, what I might do instead would be to borrow the equity from that property to go leverage with that instead of selling it. Because if I'm a long-term holder, I don't necessarily want to get rid of an uh, income-producing asset. Yeah. You also have a chapter on managing the property. When uh, should you manage it yourself, and when does it make sense to hire a property manager? I think if you have one property and it's local to you, you ought to manage that yourself. Because once you get a property manager involved, you kind of lose touch with what's the property doing, what kind of maintenance does it need, Instead, you're getting these monthly statements telling you what they've done, how much you owe them, what the rent was, things along those lines. And it just becomes a a passive investor um, mindset where I think if you're actually managing the property, you're getting a good feel of what it means to actually be a real estate investor. And having that connection with your tenants is really important to understand what they're going through, what they need, how they can help you maintain this property. So if you have a local property, I would say property manage. But if the property is more than an hour or two away from you and there's a good property management company there, I would suggest you call them. You may not have an hour or two in the middle of your day to go deal with a leaky faucet. So you think in general people should start with properties within an hour of where they are? and then branch out to further away properties later. Is that the idea? I do. I actually think that's that's probably the better way to go. Um, It allows you to get a feel for what property management really is, and then it would make you more comfortable knowing that you've got a property manager maybe an hour or two or three away, and you could then speak that talk. You, You have the same vernacular then as that property manager. So you're, you're on equal footing knowing what needs to be done with a particular property. What are some of the biggest misconceptions that people have about investing in real estate? I think the biggest misconceptions people have about investing in real estate is that it's, it's too highbrow, it's too sophisticated, and it's really not. Most real estate investments start with the inheritance of a property or you bought your first house out of college and you're moving on to another house. And instead of selling the current house you have, you just borrow the equity from it, rent it out and go buy your second house. And that's how most real estate starts. Or it also starts with house hacking. You buy a house, you rent out a room or you rent out the basement to a tenant and suddenly you're a landlord and that's real estate investing. Real estate investing can be as simple or as complex as you want it to be. And I think a lot of people need to understand that there is something out there for every person's appetite. It can be very simple from buying a cabin in Gatlinburg and putting it on an Airbnb program with a property manager out there and just getting a check every month 
to doing syndication deals with apartments and you're a general partner and you're helping raise the funds. It is very diverse for everybody. There is something for everybody. There are houses everywhere. There are apartments everywhere. And I tell you, there is a need for housing in this country. There is a big need for it. You think we're going to be in shortage for housing for quite a while? I think we'll probably be in shortage for another four years at least. So the more we can do as investors to build housing, I think we're helping society as a whole. But, you know, let's not forget that you know, this is an investment. You want, you want some return on your investment, too. And real estate does that for you. But at the same time, you're providing homes to people. And let's not lose sight of that. There is a very human element to real estate investing. You're dealing with people's lives sometimes. Now, you can be as far removed from that as you want to be, or you can be as you know, interconnected as you want to be. But again, there's something out there for everybody in real estate. In about two minutes we have left, why don't you kind of summarize why real estate should be such an important part of people's investment portfolio? I think the appreciation and the utilization of equity within real estate is unsurpassed. I can't think of a stock that I can go borrow value from and still maintain that stock and go buy a different stock with it. I can't think of a single one. Now, real estate kind of has some of the same similarities as you know whole life insurance in that it has a cash value. But with real estate, if you want to sell it, you can sell it. You can always sell it. If you want to hold it and use the equity in it to go scale, you can do that too. Or if you simply want that monthly paycheck from that piece of property, it's there for you. Moreover, it provides you tax benefits year over year through depreciation, through Section 162 business deductions, through Section 163 um, interest deductions, through one sec Section 168K bonus depreciation. The tax code is almost made to encourage people to invest in real estate. And if people would just understand that, I think they would make it a bigger part of their investment portfolio than it currently is. Very good. We've learned a lot. My guest has got our has been Brian T. Boyd, a lawyer and real estate expert in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, his book is called Replace Your Income, A Lawyer's Guide to Finding, Funding, and Managing Real estate investments. You can find out more at his website, BrianTBoyd.com, or his law firm's website is BoydWills.com. Thanks so much for being on the Money Answer Show. I think we learned a lot this, this uh, last hour, Brian. Thank you for having me, Jordan. Thanks again, and we'll be back next week with another edition of the Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.